So on March 23rd, 2020, the wonderful Christian pod, our podcaster and um, blogger, who's called the most famous Christian blogger, Tim Challies, wrote a post called How the World Worshipped on One of the Most Unusual Sundays in Church History. He included this picture from people literally all over the planet sitting in their homes in front of computer screens and televisions. Why? Because that was the weekend that the whole world shut down. Like from every nation and country, except for like a few small places, everyone was told you have to remain in your home because of the threat of COVID-19. Um, and, you know, I, I think we could argue about the merits of that two years later. But one thing that we often said then, and I think we can still say now, if that had happened 10 15 years ago even, how much harder that would have been, how much more isolating, how the technology allowed for communication, allowed for everyone could just like, I could still be fed by the word of God. I can still share prayer requests and talk with people so easily. There is great benefits in the technology that allowed us to minister to people. I still hear today some people who are like, I've been watching your live stream for like two years now, and I finally decided I should probably come to the church. We're like, yes, we're so glad you're here. Technology can be a benefit. And yet you also know the same technology that allowed this live streaming to take place allows all kinds of sexual immorality to spread online, allows lots of lies to be distributed. The technology is a tool. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about others-focused technology. Now, if you haven't already, open, you can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, last time I was up here a few weeks ago, I talked about how Zoom is good, but Satan doesn't want us to actually be together. That the gathering of Christians is important. It's essential. That Paul's love for them compelled him to want to be face-to-face -face with the Thessalonians again. And eventually he would be. But we talked about how Satan was trying to keep him away. Because Satan doesn't want us together. There's something about being together that's powerful that Satan wants to prevent. And yet Saul, sorry, Paul desperately wanted to be with them because he knew he'd be rewarded for that. He'd be blessed by serving Jesus and being with them. Now, there was a lot of criticism, even though I was saying some good things, but I was trying to be critical of why, why the screen is not good enough, why live streaming is not good enough, while Zoom is not good enough. Yet, I did promise that I'd come back and say, no, but there is great benefits to technology. So tonight is going to be more about the benefits of communication technology, how we can use them to minister to other people, to help one other people. Even if we never have another global shutdown, Lord forbid, like there's all kinds of ways that we can use these little phones, devices, the interactions that we have to minister and serve God in the lives of other people. Now, if, again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, 
and our co- God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For we were with you. We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul is telling us to use our technology to point each other to Christ, not to sin. Use technology to use it. And specifically, I'm going to try and make the point as we go along here that there are three ways to battle Satan. The first part was battling Satan by gathering, but also there's a way that we can use technology to battle Satan. Three ways to battle Satan when we use technology to communicate from afar. When we're not next to each other, how can we engage in spiritual battle with the technology that we have? First off, number one in verses one and two, distant communication should be purposely personal. Distant communication should be purposely personal. And by that, I mean it should be well thought out. We should not just go with the flow. Again, verse one says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He ended verse 20 saying that the people of Thessalonica were his glory. They were his joy. He was so happy to be able to see them and hear about them. And so he starts chapter 3 with, Therefore, because he loves them so much, because he thinks of them so much, he's willing to do a very hard thing. He was concerned about them. As we've previously talked about, the church of Thessalonica was formed by Paul. He was the founding pastor there. He preached the gospel. But as often happened with Paul, riots started. The Jews traveled around after him and they started fighting. They're like, oh, how dare you talk about this Jesus guy? It stirred up the whole city. And so they said, Paul, for your own safety, you need to go. Leave now. And so he went from there to Berea. And he didn't get to finish everything that he wanted to teach them. So he was concerned. He cared about them. He was praying about them constantly. And chapter one is all about how thankful he was to hear they're actually doing really well. But he, it was eating him up inside. There's sometimes a good way to be concerned, to have it eat you up inside that pushes you towards prayer. Not only just prayer, it led him to sacrifice. Being in Athens. Now, we have to turn to Acts 17 to understand what he's talking about and why. So if you want to turn to Acts 17 with me, you can. If not, you can just follow along. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, 17 started with them in Thessalonica and what I just said about them having to leave. Um, and then in verse, 14, in verse 10, they go to Berea with Paul, with Timothy and Silas. And then in verse 14... It says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. 
So they stayed where he was at in Berea. Paul goes off to the sea, and in verse 16, Paul ends up in Athens. And now while, um, in verse 15, he's in Athens, I'm sorry. He was taken to Athens, verse 16. While he's waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He starts evangelizing, starts telling them about Jesus, about the God who created them all. Acts doesn't say the same thing that Thessalonians seems to say. Now, you recall, Paul's been on his missionary journey. Going here, here's a little map of him ending up in Athens, down on the south. Thessalonica is up north. Now, some people say the reason that it doesn't say that Timothy was in Athens with him is because Luke just admitted that. He's not telling everything. Like, he just, it gets too full. Other people think that when, Luke, when Paul writing in Thessalonians says, oh, I was willing to be left alone, he meant even as he's departing from Berea to Athens, he's like, hey, I'm going on alone. You go back to Thessalonica. And so it's transitional. Either way, anyone who tells you it's a contradiction, they're just blowing smoke. It's, it could easily fit together. There's all kinds of reasons that it works out because the Bible doesn't give us every detail, but it gives us enough to put the picture together. Paul, though, is willing to send Timothy. Not just a little trip away, but this is a long distance in terms of walking miles. Remember, this wasn't easy. The people of Athens were very cultured, very snooty, in fact. And they regarded Paul's message as being unacceptable in polite society. You, you could imagine going into any kinds of place. We're going, in, going on to a college campus, for example, and talking with one of the religion professors about this. Like, that's the kind of community Athens was. And they would mock your simple Christianity. He knew he was going into a hard place. But he was willing to do it, to go on his own, because... Timothy was needed in Thessalonica. Get that? And remember, look in your Bibles how valuable Timothy is. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He's a trusted family member who's stuck by Paul's side even when all others abandon him. As Proverbs wisely say, Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many, command, many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. That, that was Timothy to Paul. He's his co-worker. Paul had a team mindset. He was working with this young man. And this is the Timothy who Paul said to the Corinthians was his like right hand, his representative, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, I sent to you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as to teach them everywhere in every church. You get that? Like, th this, this is Paul's son. It's his brother. It's his teammate. 
But love compels him to send not just anyone, but the best. Because the Thess- he, need- he needs to hear from- about the Thessalonians, and the Thessalonians need to hear from him. It was necessary to help. I think too often when it comes to technology, we get concerned. I don't know if you think about how many of you, when you first heard about the iPhone or you saw people texting, you were like, what's wrong with that? Like, what, why do I need that? Like, we, we do, probably rightfully so, have a little bit of concern and distrust when it comes to something new. Now there's all kinds of new apps that the younger people are doing. Things TikTok is famous for its 20 to 30 second videos that are just silly. You're like, that, why would anyone want to do that? And there's a good thought to that. But sometimes we're too afraid for the change to see its use. Some of you may remember when ATM became very popular. Automatic teller machines. Before that, you actually had tellers, right? Who would pass out the money. And it was interesting. I was reading about some people who said when they were tellers at that time, they heard about these machines coming out. And they got really afraid. And there's all kinds of talk about, oh man, who's going to lose their job? We're going to be out of business. Like no one's going to need tellers anymore because we have tireless machines that never make mistakes. Why will we be needed? But you know what happened? The exact opposite happened. There were more teller jobs because it was easier to start banks. The ATM made it easier to have banks on every corner and it created a banking movement where you're like, I don't want to drive across town to go to the bank. I want to just go across my street. And so a lot of micro banks started showing up and those micro banks still needed people to be tellers. The ATM didn't destroy the teller job. It actually spread it out further. See, technology isn't always just about making things easier. It actually does create opportunities. And we shouldn't be so afraid of what could go wrong that we don't start to ask, well, how could this help? Now, you might be asking, okay, Chris, I get you're trying to make this connection with technology. What does Paul's statement about sending Timothy have to do with technology? Because Paul used the most advanced technology available to him at the time, the Romans' road. He, this, this was huge. Romans created, they were the road builders and created the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, right? And, and it was simple. Oh, let me go back to the picture. There we go. It was simple that just sand, stone, rock, and concrete, and then they did crushed stone and concrete on top of that, and then a paved surface. It was amazing. They had drainage. So the roads would stay dry even when it rained. And where there were cities, they actually had pedestrian walkways, sidewalks, like we do now. It was said that a courier in the time of the Roman Empire could travel 75 miles in a day. Most travelers were able to get around 16 to 20 miles a day on an average Roman road. And Paul took advantage of this advanced technology to send Timothy and to send the letter that we are reading afterwards, of course. See, I think actually when it comes to technology, whether it's communicating by road or by the internet, 
the superhighway, information superhighway, right? Whatever it may be, we can be very quick to jump over the very simple commands of the Bible that tell us how we should think about these things. We want specifics. Like, it's very easy to be like, okay, the phone is a problem. Let me, as people often do, download this app that'll limit how much time I use my phone for so I don't get wasted and doesn't distract me from what's most important. Or we put like our phones in little lock boxes. I don't know if you've heard about this. Families have a time box that they put their phones in and lock it so that no one looks at their phones during dinner time. Like, we look for things like that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say those are wrong, but actually the Bible's message is very simple, but very profound. The Bible gives us the priority of our focus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, If you have been raised by Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So when it comes to how should I use this technology, we should be thinking what matters for eternity? What matters for heaven? Paul, for Paul, that meant using Timothy and a letter to send him off to find out not just what made his mission and his job easier, but what would serve these souls that would last forever. No, notice how different that is from us. I, 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 not everyone, I'm not going to say all of you like this, but probably just put it on me. For example, sometimes I use text messages instead of a phone call, because you know what text messages don't require? Uh, hey, hello, how are you doing? How are things going? It's just straight to business, and I'm done. Which is sometimes lazy. I don't want to engage in conversation and relationship. I just want to get it out and get the information back quickly. And, and perhaps that's okay at times. But when it comes to technology, you got to ask the question, not just what is easy, what is quick and efficient, but what will point the other person to Christ? What will give them a heavenly mindset? Perhaps, for example, a text message would be the best for a young mom who's trying to wrangle kids. It says for my wife, we're trying to wrangle the kids right now. Right? And you're like, I, I can't pick up the phone. But if a text message pops in, I'll look at it, okay, and I, and I can respond to it later when I have a minute. Or maybe, actually, you, you're going to call a sister or a grandma, a friend, and you're like, I need to make sure I set aside an hour to talk. I, it was during like all the COVID lockdowns. There was one person who was like, I'm so happy to be alone. And yet that person talked to me oh, on and on and on for an hour. I'm like, well, I'm glad you're happy to be alone, but it sounds like you needed someone to talk to as well, right? And, and so it's thinking, not just what's easiest, but what is most purposeful? What about this person can I try and help? And that can be applied in many different ways. And I leave you to that. We can talk about the specifics later if you want to. But that, I think that's the principle. What will point the other person to a heavenly mindset? We should be purposeful in our use, personally applying it towards them. Often it takes and makes our work a little harder. It hurts a little. That means we're doing it well. Now, Paul purposely sent a person to help them, but Timothy had a purpose or a goal. So number two, 
The second way we fight, distant communication should be encouraging and edifying. Distant communication should be encouraging and edifying. The purpose was building them up. This is the second part of verse two. He explains what Timothy was sent to do. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Establish means to strengthen or build up. Like you think like adding bricks in there, building it up, kind of like a sandcastle. And you're like, I got to put some more sand in it to hold it up. Exhort means to come alongside. Like you put your arm around someone and you help them walk. You know, they've hurt themselves and you got to walk with them. It's the same words used in chapter two, verse 12, talking about what Paul's ministry had been to them. It's basically, it's the same thing. And he wants them to be strengthened in their trust of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them of their faith in the gospel. You see that? To, um, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Pastor was saying that to the kids this morning, right? Like, it's very easy, especially as Christians, to just think, oh, I need to move past just the simple trusting God stuff. And yet, that we need to preach that to ourselves every day. The gospel that we were those who were against God's ways. We rejected his laws. We spit in God's face by trying to be good enough on our own. Like I'm pretty righteous or by rejecting his way. And everyone is under God's just punishment then, right? Like we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. For, because we forever broke, or we broke the law of the forever God, we deserve forever judgment. But God does not leave us that way, right? We preach every day. God gave us his son. He sent his son to live in a life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. And because of him, we're not just forgiven, we're adopted into God's family. We're his children. As Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, the gospel is our reminder when we're not getting what we want, that life is hard, the gospel is the reminder that God already gave his son for us, his most precious son. Do you think he'll care for us and give us what we need in life? Now, they needed to be built up in the faith. Their faith needed to be encouraged. And verse three explains why. So that no one may be moved by these afflictions. I don't know about you, but when I picture moved by afflictions, the image that comes to my mind is like a ship that's tried to be docked and has its, it has its anchored down into the sand below, but the waves are coming so strong, the storm, and it's kind of pulling the anchor out and they're being like shoved back and forth. Like that's the idea I have in my mind of being moved by afflictions. But that's the totally wrong idea for this word, right? And that's, that's why sometimes it's really good to know the original 
Greek language. Because the word in Greek is literally of dogs wagging their tails when a treat is put in front of them. So the thought is not being forced, but instead the Thessalonians are in trials. And some of their enemies are coming along, and instead of trying to beat them, they're sweet-talking them. Perhaps the Gentiles were persecuting them very strongly, and so some Jews came along and said, hey, you know, if you just ignore this Jesus thing and just, like, say you're a Jew, Jews are protected by Roman law, so, you know, just, just forget Jesus, and you can still, like, be a good moral person. You can still follow the law and the Bible. Just Jesus. The power of comfort is like poison. Put in sweet water. You can imagine, like, like, when you have had a long and hard day working out in the sun and someone hands you an ice cold water, do you even think for a second what might be in it? You just drink it, right? But if it tastes bitter, you're probably going to spit it out. And so sweet, cool, refreshing water is more idea of luring or tempting. See, that, that's the warning Paul's giving them, that you might not be tempted away. He even says that, if you look, you want some proof of this, look a little ver- further at verse 5. For somehow the tempter has tempted you. Right? That, that's the idea. That's the warning. Because sin would not be tempting if it didn't seem good in the moment. If it didn't seem like it would satisfy in some way. That's it. It's going to satisfy you. And so Timothy needed to give them a reminder. Don't be surprised, Christian, when you suffer. Don't be surprised when it's hard. He says in end of verse 3, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you No. These were probably not epic persecutions for the Thessalonians. These were not like they were getting beaten and killed in the streets. It's the kind of persecution we face as 21st century Americans. It's living in a world that rejects the very core of what you believe. A secular society society that has different values and puts pressure on you to give in. To be a Christian means to follow Jesus, to be like him. And he was crucified. Romans 8, 17 says, If we're children, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs of Jesus Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, famously said, Can we wish, if it were possible, to walk in a path strewed with flowers when his was strewed with thorns. Of course not. The destiny of all who follow Jesus Christ is to pick up our cross, to feel the difficulty. So technology, again, technology has a purpose to build up. And technology can be good or bad. 
I, I know we all, you've all probably been there. You've sat in a restaurant and you see some, a couple on a date and they're just staring at their phones the whole time. They barely even speak anything. They, wait, they, wait for, they, they give an order, they look at their phones. Their food comes out, they eat, they look at their phones and there's barely a word passed between them. And you're like, man, phones are bad. And it is true. When, when we're distracted by technology to the point that we don't examine it, we don't think about it, it gains the greatest opportunity to enslave us, right? If we're not actually thinking, what is this thing for? We're probably going to be enslaved by it. But did you know this has actually always been a fear? There was a time before writing, before paper, and when, the, during the time of Socrates, paper was starting to be copied many, many, many times. And Socrates, the great philosopher, refused to write anything down because he was worried of the damage writing would cause. He thought people would get stupid by writing things down instead of memorizing stories, and so he refused to do so. Could you imagine if God had taken that path and said, nope, no Bible, because that'll make people stupider. You know what, we're going to—and everything needs to be um, passed down by memory. How many wonderful reminders and encouragements would we miss— if it wasn't for the biblical writers, but also men and women throughout history have written things down. Loved ones who've written love letters to one another to encourage you. Stories being passed. Technology was used to pass all those. So let me give, I'm just going to give a very brief um, theology of technology. Just a few high points from the Bible based on this wonderful book by Tony Reiki called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. He, he does a great job. It's just, this is a very thoroughly researched book that talks about the warnings and concerns, but also gives us a great idea of how we should actually use. What's the purpose of technology? Because technology can tell us what we can do. It can't tell us what we should do. The Bible does that. So you will remember that in the beginning, in the beginning, God, oops, nope. There we go. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were put on this planet. And you know what? They were not told to leave the planet the way it was. But they were told to control it. In, in Genesis 1.28, God blesses them. And God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have dominion. It's what people call the cultural mandate. He gave to Adam and Eve, control the world. And this command implies or was actually practiced by technological advancements that happened. Um, you know, copper tools, stone tools, iron tools. Even today, chefs, and cooks, they reorder raw materials and they turn it into something delicious, right? Or carpenters reorder raw lumber and build a wonderful church building that we sit in. Pharmaceuticals reorder organic and synthetic materials to make healing medicine. Technology is a biblical command that we take nature and we are supposed to make it into something. We have technology that allowed us to 
control communication so we can get on the phone and I was just texting with my friend who's in Central Asia on the other side of the planet. Technology takes distance and makes it shorter. And technology pushes back the result of the fall. Right? Nope. Give me one more. Come on. There you go. Technology pushes back the result of the fall, which is really cool because you think about what was included in that fall. What would happen to Eve? She would experience pain in childbirth. It's pretty cool. We have so many bits of technology, whether it is birthing tools or epidurals to make that pain manageable. So women don't die as much in childbirth. What was Adam's curse? That the land would do what? It would be hard. It would fight against him. It would produce thorns. And how many bits of agricultural technology do we have to produce food for us? And tools. And think about it this way, too. You know, the internet, social media is a great way to spread a lot of evil, bad ideas. But you know where you can spread a lot of good ideas, too? Where you can take the truth and say, no, that's sin. Here is goodness. People share things on internet and social media. News programs, movies, people are able to share that way. Even the fact that technology people outside are able to hear me right now, even though they can't be in this room, because of technology. Technology was taken advantage of. In the 16th century, Christians said, the printing press is here. Let us copy the Bible and put a Bible in everyone's hands. When before, only a few people had it. In the 20th century, the radio existed. And Christians started broadcasting radio programs into unreached people groups and behind the Iron Curtain itself. In the 21st century, we've seen the creation of apps and devices that have Bible truths on them. That people, you can talk to Aaron Valdezan about his whole ministry that is able to get a Bible translated into a people and onto their phones within a matter of months rather than waiting decades. Technology has been used to fight against evil. But, surprise, surprise, technology, come on, doesn't want to, it doesn't want to, doesn't want to give it to me. Well, you can listen then. Technology can be abused, right? And, and this is nothing new. So do, we can't be like, oh yes, it's just, you know, social media has finally abused technology or, you know, the, you know, electric car has finally gone too far. No, Babel, right? The Tower of Babel. What was that except man being so creative in his technology. He was trying, there we go. He was trying to say, no, God wants us to separate and we are going to do better than what God has said. How long did that last for them? Not very long. God caused all their languages to be spread apart. And he's like, nope, you can't defeat me. We say when it comes to all technology, the summary of it should be the summary of God's law. 
love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. If we use technology for love, we'll be on the right path. That's the purpose, to do, to think through, let us use this properly, and yet us use this to love others, to fight against the results of the fall, to fight against sin, to fight against Satan himself. Technology can be used like that. Whether it's encouraging a Bible, someone, sometimes, you know, people maybe don't get past CDs anymore, but you and your phone could go on to our website, pull a sermon down, and you in 30 seconds could message it to your friend and say, hey, maybe listen to this sermon. Or you can send them Bible verses. It is powerful. Now, Paul then used this long-distance communication to purposely encourage them, but he didn't just leave it long distance. There is a truth. Third truth is distant communication should point to the in-person. Distant communication should point to the in-person. If we want to fight Satan, it's not enough to just be distant. We got to point to the in-person to make disciples. This is verses 4 and 5. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it had come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul saying from the beginning of his ministry, when he first started preaching the gospel to them, he told them to follow Christ is to suffer affliction. He wasn't lying to them. And sometimes people do this. I don't think they mean it in a bad way, but they're just like, oh, if you will just come to Jesus, he'll just satisfy you and give you eternal joy. And your life is just going to be so good. And we're going to solve all those problems. And you know, like that thing you have with that worry, it's going to go away. And, and that pain you have with your child, it's going to go away. And that temptation you have, it's going to go away. That's not what Paul promised. That's not what the Bible teaches. When we come to Christ, there is destined for all of us trials and afflictions used by God for our good, but those still will happen. And he said, you know this. In chapters one and two is all about Paul recounting to them how they knew. They knew him. They knew his ministry. They knew what his teaching was. And that ministry had to come to an end. But in verse five, Paul explains his worry and his deep desire to get an update. He said, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We talked about this last time. Satan is real. Satan is trying to destroy people. And Satan is known as the tempter as well. This is why I've been saying that these uses of long-distance technology are fighting against Satan because he is active and he's engaged. And this is that temptation we referred to earlier. It's something good and alluring. It's nothing that says, oh, here, this is bad. Don't take me. We would never choose sin if it had a bright warning label flashing on it saying, don't take me. Like, it offers itself up as nice. Or even like, you know, 
Don't listen to these crazy people over here who say I'm bad. Come. This is Satan acting as an angel of light, right? Masquerading himself, saying, no, this is good. Just like he did in the garden. He went to Eve and he said, oh no, this will make you just like God. Forget that whole you'll die part. Like, this will be good. Take the fruit and eat it. And he still does that today. He tempts with lies. He tempts with Smith's truths. And if he had succeeded, Paul is worried that his work would have been waste. Sometimes that worry is good. And it forces us to pray. And it forces us to act. So he was willing to sacrifice and send Timothy so that he could hear what had happened with them and that the truth could be reinforced by a person. There's so much communication that is lost when we're not fully together, isn't it? Think about it. Like I was reading one seminary professor wrote that our personality comes through to some extent in an email message or a text or tweet but we are holistic beings. We have feelings, thoughts, imaginations, and we have bodies. When we remove part of our embodied personhood, misunderstandings become easier. When we trade our physical arms that cross, eyes that linger, ears that detect sarcasm, and vocal tones that imply patience for the two-dimensional avatar, a picture on a screen— we invite misunderstanding and tension. Think how much even harder it is when you're on the phone it's to, to understand. You don't see someone's face. And so you can't tell if they're frustrated at you or if they're frustrated at the situation. But there's like a, you look at their eyes and you can see if someone's angry at you, they look at you with like eyes. But if they're frustrated at the situation, they're usually looking up or around, right? Like those little social cues. We miss something when we're not in person. And the best understanding comes from those who see us and actually know us well, and we can see them. See, I I think perhaps one of the challenges and the difficulties with technology today is with the internet or pastors on the television, or even just, we do this with CDs too. There are all kinds of preachers, Bible teachers, and spiritual gurus out there. Some of them are really good. They're great Bible teachers who proclaim Jesus Christ. Some of them are really bad and dangerous. But perhaps, even though of the good ones, it's very easy to look for someone and find someone who will tell you just what you want to hear. Because you just have to figure out the right phrase to type into Google, and you can find someone who will make you go, yes, that, 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 that is me. I should do this. Now, notice that Paul is using his technology of Timothy in this letter, and he keeps reminding them, this is what you've always heard. He, he's going to get into chapter 4. We'll talk about that, how he's going to slightly correct some things be like, ah, but you're kind of missing this and reform it a little bit. And so my encouragement to us is if you hear something on TV or through the internet or you go to some conference and some person's on that screen or, or in the distance 
and they tell you something different from what you have been taught, we should be very careful. If they apply it and you think, oh man, they get me. I have to do whatever they say. I just feel so close to them. Be very careful because the in-person is someone who actually knows you. Spiritual gurus who have all the answers sound great, but it's the people who are actually able to, as Timothy did, exhort and come alongside you, who will bear your burden and walk with you. That matters. And I think for me, at least too, when I'm catching up with old friends, checking in with pastors around the world, texting them, I'm writing them, one of the things I want to do is say, how is it going in your church and in your ministry with your people when I hear a complaint from a friend about how what's going on with their pastor, and believe me, as a pastor, I get that. I get complaints from my friends of other pastors. I encourage them saying, yes, but what are you doing to talk to your pastor about that? Because it needs to go back and encourage what is local. Good use, godly use of technology should drive people to serve and love their neighbors. One of the greatest problems we're having in society today is it's just the separation. We're getting moved around a lot. You don't know the people next to you because you can just we communicate via technology and places. But it should drive us to love those around us. Now, we've talked about how using technology cannot just go with the flow. If we, if we get distracted and we're just doing what we're told, then we're going to mess up, but we must be purposeful and say, how should I do this? Why should I do this? And the why is, point them to Christ. Encourage and edify their faith. The same as the great commandment. And it should reinforce local communication. You should always encourage people to be part of a local church with local friends. Once again, I don't think we need to fear technology. It's changing. And especially, you know, some of you with your grandkids or your, even your own kids, you're like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is just crazy. And perhaps some of us will be doing that same thing in a few years that they're doing now. Kids are usually very quick adapters. The older you get, the less quick you adapt. But we shouldn't be afraid to say, what benefit? Because you can provide wisdom, right? I, I think Perhaps for a while, I used to always think that digital relationships were just a distraction. They just kept you away from those who are near you. But I, I was rebuked in a life situation by that once because I had some dear friends in our church who had a horrible natural disaster. I've mentioned them before. They, their house was destroyed. Two sisters and their father was killed. It was devastating, devastating attack. And our church was trying to serve them and help them. And it was strange. Like, just these different people kept showing up from all over the country to, you know, help them. Like, we were literally going through their yard and putting back pieces, trying to find things. They were trying to help them and care for them. People hanging out with their kids. Like, all these people were like, okay, who are you and where are you from? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're part of their homeschool online group. They had this group of friends online who were doing homeschool classes together. And when this disaster happened, you know what they did? They got up and they went. And I was like, oh, you can have 
some decent relationships of people who will be there when you need them through the internet. And I think that's a reminder to all of us to be those kinds of friends. We don't know what the Lord might do, but as we have those relationships and as we use them, whether it's even someone across town, you know, our, our church is not located just around here. We have some distance between us, but technology allows us to bring that and bring that together to encourage one another. And then if the Lord wills, we'll be there in person, won't we? Technology can be used. Just because it's new doesn't mean it can't be used to help others. Just because it's different doesn't mean the gospel cannot go forward between it. You can use TikTok to proclaim Jesus Christ. I'm not quite sure how yet, but I know some people are doing it. Um, <laughs> and all that might be used to the glory of God. Let me pray. Lord, we do pray that our technology be, we, would be used for others, to glorify your name and love them. Oh Lord, give us insight into ways that we can use our phones, our connections, our computers. Oh Lord, going back to pen and paper to encourage and edify others. May we not be afraid of it, but see this all as great opportunities, Lord, for your glory and for our good. We ask, Lord, to use it to the praise of your name, Jesus. Amen.